All right, good morning. Uh, We are in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're continuing. We'll finish up the 8th chapter this morning. title of the sermon is Getting Started Sharing. We're going to talk a little bit about sharing our faith as Christians and how we can get started in doing that. And we'll see what we can glean from this text as Philip shares his faith with someone that he encounters. So we're looking at verses 26 through 40 of Acts chapter 8. I'll be working from the NIV this morning. We'll read the whole text Uh, Before we get to reading the text, a little bit of background. You remember from last week that severe persecution has broken out against the church in Jerusalem, that uh, Stephen was martyred, actually killed for his faith in Jesus, and then this guy named Saul started dragging people out of their homes uh, to persecute them, and in the wake of that persecution, the church has scattered They finally have done what they were supposed to do. They've gone to Judea and Samaria, and they're beginning to spread out. And as they do so, they're living life on mission. They're not just running from persecution. They're living life on mission, and they're sharing the good news about Jesus as they go. And one of the guys doing that is Philip, who we see in the story, and he's at a powerful ministry, and his ministry continues here. So we pick it up in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8, where it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the, I don't know how to say that word, Kandake, whatever, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, Go up to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? The man said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. And this is from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Pause right there for a moment. Some of your Bibles have the next verse, verse 37 in it. Some of them don't. That's because some of the ancient manuscripts included this verse. Some didn't. So if you have the NIV, it just says 37 in parentheses and the verse is in the margin. If you have the NASB, it's actually in the text. I have it in the margin of my NIV. Verse 37 says, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now back to verse 38. And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the joy of having your word 
We thank you for the Bible, your very word to us. We ask that this morning you would help us to hear it, believe it, and receive it. We pray that your word would be transformative in our lives and formative of our lives. Pray that um, you'd make us faithful with this life that we live as you've called us to live life on mission, that we would glean insights from your word with the help of the Holy Spirit this morning, Lord. Lord, we pray for people in our body this morning who are sick and suffering. We ask, Lord, that you would be merciful. We pray that you would, as we've seen you do in the book of Acts so much, extend your healing hand and heal people in our church who are suffering. Pray that you be near the families who are experiencing difficulty right now. And we ask that you would make us a loving, compassionate, kind, caring church that would love and care for one another. And now, Lord, please anoint me to teach and preach in a way that's faithful and helpful and humble for the glory of Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I would like us to see this text as sort of a helpful guide to sharing our faith, to personal evangelism, telling somebody you know or perhaps just met what you believe about Jesus and why that matters to them. I'd like to see this text as a text that will help us get started in doing that. As we talked about last week, a shift has occurred in the book of Acts with this persecution in the church now scattering. And a shift has also uh, occurred, excuse me, in the book of Acts with regards to evangelism. Up until this point, it had predominantly been one person preaching to large groups in Jerusalem. That's what we saw in the first few chapters. Now, as the church scatters, we see individuals speaking predominantly to individuals sharing Jesus with them. So we're going to see a greater emphasis moving forward in the book on personal evangelism, as they are the church scattered, living that out. Now, both are good. Right? Both are in the book of Acts. Peter would stand up and preach to a bunch of people in Jerusalem and thousands of people would get saved and baptized. And here we see Philip witnessing to one individual and he gets saved and he gets baptized. Both are good. But one is significantly more effective than the other on a broad scale. Allow me to demonstrate. We will do an informal survey right now. I will ask you how you came to faith or through whom or the means by which you came to faith, I'll ask three or give three options. Everybody will respond to one, unless you're not a Christian or you don't know how you became a Christian, in which case you might not be a Christian. (laughs) So there will be three options. Everybody will respond to one. And when you raise your hand to this, I want you to hold it up for a minute so everyone can look around and see what's going on here. How many of you came to faith through a large-scale evangelistic event, like a Billy Graham crusade or Harvest Crusade with Greg Glory or something like that. Raise your hand. Okay, look around, everybody. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven people out of a room of a few hundred. Right? Wow, isn't that interesting? How many of you came to faith because you went to church, a setting like this, you heard the gospel being preached from the front, and you responded, and that's where you got saved? Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up. Significantly more than Billy Graham. Uh, No, I'm not trying trying to dishonor Billy Graham, Julie. You know what I mean. But that's interesting, right? 
Now, how many of you got saved because you knew somebody, family or friend or someone else, that had been explaining the gospel to you and guided you into that? Raise your hand. Now, everybody look around. By far the vast majority. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Very few people through large-scale evangelistic crusades, a good number through coming to church and hearing there and responding, but most of us got saved through someone else who shared the good news about Jesus with us. I've done this survey in different places in the world for the last 20 years, and the results are always the same, invariably, without question. It's always that similar ratio. Isn't that interesting? But Barna recently, Barna Research Group, recently came out with a report on uh, sharing your faith, which said that fewer and fewer Christians now believe that they have a responsibility to share their faith, much less than believe that 25 years ago. And there's an increase toward Christians thinking that it's the job of this gathering, the church, to lead people to Christ. But you and I both know that your friends aren't here, right? It's mostly Christians in the room most of the time. So if our primary strategy is, well, we'll just get people to church and then they're going to get saved there, that's too slow of a role. That's too slow of a role. If your strategy is, we'll just wait for, you know, the next Billy Graham to come around, don't. We have to have a different and better strategy. And we do have a strategy from God. We as Christians have a call from God to share our faith personally. Now, I know how it feels when I say that because I feel the same way. Most of us feel a little intimidated by that idea. For most of us, it's a bit daunting, this idea of like actually explaining the good news of Jesus to somebody that I know or I just met. It can even be downright scary for some of us and a bit puzzling because how do you do it and how do you navigate that conversation in our postmodern culture and with all the objections and a low view of scripture and all these things, how do you even navigate that? So it could be daunting, it could be scary, it could be puzzling. But it is also an incredible privilege and could be the joy of your lifetime to lead someone that you care about to Jesus Christ and faith in him that they might receive the gift of eternal life. There's really nothing better that could happen in the world, honestly, than somebody being delivered from their sins and brought into the kingdom of Jesus. I'm so thankful that we had Dr. Danson announce um, this class where we'll be learning evangelism in our church this summer. It's so important. He's a gifted evangelist. He's taught on evangelism different places in the world, a bunch of different times in our community. I'm so thankful that that class is happening right now because this is important. This is how people get saved. We just demonstrated it. This is how the kingdom goes and grows and expands is through Christians sharing their faith with others. So this text will help us with that. Now, first of all, a little background on the Ethiopian that we encounter here. He's an important high-ranking official. He oversees the money for the queen of Ethiopia. So that's probably like a big deal. And the fact that he's riding in a chariot was a big deal. Not everybody cruised around in chariots in those days. If you were riding in a chariot, you were a big deal. And he is a big deal. He was also a eunuch, which means at some point, his testicles were crushed or his penis was cut off. 
because he served a royal official who was a female closely in her palace. So in those days, they just wanted to remove any temptation. So that's what they did. It was hard times. And he was probably a convert to Judaism because it says that he went to Jerusalem to worship and he's reading the Jewish scriptures, the prophet Isaiah. So he's from Ethiopia, but he probably at some time converted to Judaism or at least was seriously considering it. A little background on Philip, though we've already met Philip. He was one of those guys chosen in Acts chapter 6 to serve the church in important and practical ways, distributing the food to the widows. He was one of the guys uh, whose peers said he was full of the wisdom and full of the Holy, full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. He was one of those who scattered when persecution broke out. He went to Samaria. He was preaching the gospel there. God was using him to work miracles. Simon the sorcerer was saved under his ministry, as we saw last week. And he seems to have a real gift for evangelism. He'll turn up in Acts chapter 21, which is 20 years down the road historically. So we'll see him again 20 years later in Acts chapter 1, where he will be called explicitly Philip the Evangelist. So he seemed to have the gift for evangelism. That was like his thing. That was his gig. He takes on the moniker Philip the Evangelist. He's living in Caesarea at that time in Acts chapter 21, 20 years later. We see Caesarea come up in verse 40, where it says that Philip was preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And there it seems that he set up home there, maybe met someone and got married. Must have, because in Acts chapter 21, we find that he has four daughters who are all prophetesses. Can you imagine that household? I mean, just think about it for a while. It was very exciting. Philip the Evangelist and his four prophetess daughters who were unmarried. So still in the house. Now, not all of us are like Philip. Not all of us are or will be gifted evangelists or have a gift for evangelism. Some people do. They're gifted in that. Some people aren't. That's the way that it works in the body of Christ. The Spirit gives people different gifts. And you know someone is gifted because when they're moving in that gifting, it just like happens. There's supernatural unction behind it. They seem to have a different level of insight in it. They seem to get a different sort of joy from it. It's a really motivating thing that they go after. You know what I mean? You know what it looks like when someone's gifted. So he had a gift for that. Not everyone is going to have that gift. But what the Bible doesn't do is it doesn't let you off the hook when you don't have a gift to do something. Right? He had a gift for evangelism, but when Paul was writing to Timothy at one time, he said, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't have the gift of evangelism. He was a gifted pastor. But Paul said, you still got to do that work. And it's the same for Christians. Right, like serving is one of the gifts within the body. Some people are really gifted at serving. You see them around church. They're here early Sunday morning setting up other things. They're at VBS this last week serving the kids. And you can see they have unction, they have insight, they get joy from it. You might not have the gift of serving, but that doesn't mean you're off the hook to serve. See how that works? You still have to serve. It's just going to be a different experience for you. Giving or generosity is one of the gifts of, in the body of Christ. Some people just love to give, cannot wait to give things to people in need. Just because you don't have that gift doesn't mean that you don't have to give and give generously. You see how that works? Some Christians have the gift of discernment. They can really discern what's going on in a certain situation as it pertains to the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. You may not have that gift, but it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to have any discernment. So you may not have the gift for evangelism, but we are still all called to do the work of an evangelist, to engage in sharing our faith with others. 
Why? Because Jesus loves people. And Jesus gave his life on the cross that people might be forgiven of their sins. And he rose from the dead that people might have new life and eternal life. And God loves the whole world, and so he gave his son Jesus. And so the whole world is supposed to know this truth about Jesus. And because God loves them so much, their lives matter. Their lives are precious. And we, because God also loves us who are his, have been invited into this passionate work of God. It's God's mission. It's God's passion. It's God's love. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been invited into spreading it. In fact, we're kind of like his plan for that. Like, God, do you have a plan B? No, we, we, he's just us. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see that? We've been reconciled to God through Christ and we now have the ministry of reconciliation. All of us. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There it is a second time. Look what it says here. It says, this is what God is doing and in light of it, this is what you must do. Right? There's an indicative, this is what God is doing, and then an imperative, so this is what you do in response. You've been reconciled, so take the message of reconciliation forward. God is working to reconcile people to himself, so take that message forward. Verse 20 then, in summation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are all, every single one of us, not just the people up front, not the people in vocational ministry, not just gifted in certain ways. We're all representatives or ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And he works through us to bring people to reconciliation with God. That's the way that works. And there isn't really a plan B. We're called to do it because God is love and because God loves us. And because he loves us, he wants to include us in his work. My wife yesterday uh, she was been in Italy for the last couple of weeks on a writer's retreat over there. I know, she's suffering for Jesus. <laughs> and so uh, she got back, I don't know, the other night, Friday night. And then on Saturday, uh, I didn't care for the plants the way I was supposed to while she was gone. Listen, there's a lot to do when mom is gone. There's a lot to do. I have Fifi. Yeah, like, that's a lot to do. Four-year-old Fifi. I got a 17-year-old son, church, surfboard business. Like, there's a lot to do. And so I just didn't get around to taking care of some of the plants. Gee whiz. Well, I heard about it. And Saturday morning, she drove to Ventura, went to Green Thumb Nursery, and she came back with the whole back of her Toyota 4Runner full of plant stuff and pots and soil and all this stuff. When the guys were loading it there, they said to her, you're going to have to take a second trip. And she said, I ain't coming back. Get it in. But the point is, like, a lot of stuff. And she comes back, and she's like, honey, will you help me unload the stuff? I'm like, yeah, I'm getting the message here, and I'm carrying all this stuff out. But what was really cool was that my wife had this real excitement to do all of this planting stuff with Fifi. And her, <laughs> And her excitement was palpable. 
It, she was like really excited to engage Fifi in this thing that she loves, plants and gardening and vegetables and flowers and all this stuff. She's going to do it with Fifi. Now, why was she excited to do it with Fifi? Because she loves Fifi and because Fifi is precious to her and Fifi is her beloved daughter. And in the same way, you are the beloved daughters and sons of God. So he is excited to work in you and with you and through you to include you in the work of his kingdom because he's crazy about you. You understand that? He's gardening, so to speak. And it is the Father's joy to include you in that work. So how shall we begin in trying to glean some insights from how Philip behaves here? The first thing I want us to see is that God was leading Philip. So I want us to think of witness as obedience. God was leading Philip, witness as obedience. First, I'll just mention that we do believe in the leading of the Holy Spirit and in the personal leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and guides us and directs us at different times in different ways for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it says explicitly in verse 29 there, the Spirit told Philip. It says in verse 26, and an angel of the Lord said, go here to this certain road that leads from Jerusalem down into the desert. So we see that Philip was being led specifically by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke to him. We're not told what it sounded like or did it actually sound like anything. Was it an impression? Was it a feeling? Was there like this mysterious road sign? We aren't told what it was. But the Spirit speaks in different ways to us and part of the Christian journey is discovering that. The question really is not whether or not God is willing to lead us. The question is whether or not we are willing to obey his leading. God wants to lead you. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. He wants your life to count for his glory and his kingdom. The question is not whether or not he's going to lead us. The question is whether or not we will obey. And Philip intended to obey. It's interesting in that study that I just referenced from Barna Research Group, they found that nearly half of Christians are not willing to talk about spiritual things with their friends if it will risk the relationship for them. Nearly half of Christians. No, I'm not going to tell them about Jesus if they might reject me. Now, that's real. I get that. I think I'm probably one of those people. I, 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 I understand that. But witness requires, witness is a higher call. And it requires obedience to something bigger than our fears. Right? Look at a few of the verses here and we see Philip obeying. Angel Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza. So he started out. I want you to see. God was leading him and said, do this. And he did it. There wasn't a lot of hemming and hawing. He didn't like schedule an appointment with the pastor, sit down. Hey, should I do this? He didn't like Facebook it. He didn't Instagram it. It wasn't like this deep, like inner struggle. It's just God said, go this. And he did that. Huh. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Huh, coincidence? No. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, sometimes obedience is hard. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I want you to notice the chariot does not stop for Philip. The chariot doesn't stop until verse 38. When he gets baptized, then the eunuch says, okay, stop the chariot. This chariot is moving. God says, run the speed of a chariot, catch up with the chariot, stay near it. 
So here's Philip running to catch him. And then he's staying near it. Why, God? Why do you want me to run and catch it and stay near it? And then he discovers as he obeys, because this Ethiopian man was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And it was the practice in the day to read out loud. He was near enough to a moving chariot, keeping pace enough that he could hear the man reading the prophet Isaiah. Sometimes obedience has to be tenacious. And just like a little risky, like, What if I get ran over by the chariot? Who cares? Obey Jesus. He runs and he is running alongside the chariot. Tenacious obedience. Now, a valid question is, what are we actually called to obey? And how does that then form the way that we live out our mission? Are are, are we to just to obey the great commission in general, go therefore to all nations and make disciples? Or are we to obey specific callings like we saw Peter have here, or excuse me, Philip, run up to that chariot and talk to that guy? And there are opposing views of call, even within reality. For example, our missionary friends from South America, uh, Merrill and Teresa Dick, they went down 40 years ago, went to an unreached people group, learned the language, created an alphabet for the language, learned the cultural ways and idioms, learned how to speak about Jesus to these people who had never heard the name of Jesus, saw people one to Christ, developed leaders, sent them out, planted churches, and now just translated the scriptures into their language. 40 years of work in South America amongst the un- unreached people. He's one of our missionaries. We, we love and honor them very very much. But his perspective is this. Listen, we have the great commission, just obey it. We have the great commission, just obey it. Because what we talk about a lot in reality is this. Well, how is the spirit calling you specifically? Like, is the spirit leading you to a certain nation or a certain person or a certain ministry or a certain thing? And he says to me all the time, Brit, forget about that. Jesus already said, go to the nations. There's not a second question. Pick one and go. I think that's a valid view. And I think it's a both and, right? I think we already have a call to preach the gospel near and far. And sometimes God calls specifically. But don't get paralyzed in waiting for the specific if you can obey the general. We're already called to be ambassadors for Christ, where we are with who we know and what we do and far away. So we're to obey both of those things. Both are in play and we see Philip obeying both. And I believe that obeying the former, the Great Commission in general, opens things up to the latter, specific calling. I don't know that God speaks to us that much if we're just like not willing to obey the general commands and we're always waiting for some specific thing. Like just begin to obey and share your faith because God loves people, and then see how that opens up doors for specific leading. Uh, one author, Ojith Fernando, who I admire and writes good stuff, says, Obedience to the Great Commission and to the promptings of the Spirit, see both and there, the Great Commission and the prompting of the Spirit, is the key that unlocks the release of the Spirit into our lives and transforms us into being witnesses with Spirit-led boldness. So obedience is key to this thing. At some point, we have to make a real decision in our hearts and in our lives. Am I going to obey the Great Commission and seek the Lord for leading and sharing the gospel with people? We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Second service is much quicker than you guys when it comes just on that one thing. 
just on that one thing. So I just want us to grow in that. (laughs) Jesus is specific when he talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon us, that the reason for that is that we might be his witnesses. Not that we just might be Pentecostal or experience ecstatic gifts or weird things or have power or whatever, but it's to be his witnesses. And that's the whole thing about the book of Acts. The whole thing about the book of Acts is the spirit came upon the church and now they're being his witnesses. And so it's leading us to the same thing. And there's a real discongruence if we just don't engage in that, though it's daunting and scary and confusing. So God was leading Philip, witness as obedience. What about you? Are, are, are there currently any promptings in your life that you need to listen to from the Lord? I just want you guys to like think about that this week. Determine to obey the Great Commission. Like, Lord, okay, any way I can obey, making disciples, I, I want to do. And then within that, endeavor to discern the Spirit's leading. Lord, what, what do you want me to do specifically about these people around me, these people in my neighborhood, these people I work with? Gosh, this guy in my family. Is there any way that you think the Lord might be leading you now? And if he is, in regards to these things, just obey it. It's always going to be better when we obey. Can I get a witness? Like we think it's not, that's why we don't obey. We think if I obey, I'm going to be inconvenienced. I'm probably going to be embarrassed. It's going to cost me something. And so we don't obey. But what we discover in the long run is that we always regret not obeying, but we never regret obeying. And that it actually always turns out better when we obey, Fifi. (laughs) Second thing that we learn, not only was God leading Philip, but God was preparing the Ethiopian. So we can think of witness as partnership right? Witness is obedience and witness in partnership, meaning God was already at work in the Ethiopian's life. God is always at work in people's lives. Remember what we've been learning, that God is the one who is with us and at work. He's at with us and at, he's with us and at work in people's lives around us. And he was already at work in the Ethiopian. Let's look at a couple of verses that are evidence of that. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chair reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, if someone's doing that, God's at work in them, right? He is perhaps a convert to Judaism. He is at least a seeker. And you don't do that unless God's up to something. You don't just, right? He's reading the Bible and he's going to Jerusalem. Like he's, he's seeking the Lord. God is at work in him. And what I think it's important for us to realize is that we are often just one link in what God is doing in someone's life. God is doing more than we could ever imagine. I know that we all look at people and we're like, dude, God isn't doing anything in that dude's life. (laughs) Obviously, and why would he? But that's not true. God loves that person. And God is at work in his or her life. He's always at work in people's lives. We just don't always see it. We can't always fathom it. But we can step into it and become just one link, one part of what God is doing in someone's lives around us, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I don't know, Paul says somewhere in the Bible that sometimes people come along and they plant seeds for the gospel. Other people come along and they water those seeds. And then some people come along and they reap the harvest, right? Different people engaging in different stages, It has been said, 
I think there's studies that show that in America, a person has to hear the gospel presented clearly over 20 times before they respond. And then there's all sorts of other seeds, right? That might be totally a false fact, but it's in my mind for so disclaimer on that, but you get the point. But there are different seeds and ways that we plant. It might be through kindness. It might be through our generosity towards someone. It might be what we say. It might be the way that we pray for them. It might be the way that we engage them in conversations about the hard things in their lives and how God is present in that. There's different ways, but the truth is God is always preparing the people around us because he loves them. And so I think that uh, one of the journeys is to discover what God is doing. The best way that I know to do that is to start praying for someone in a targeted manner. Last week, we talked about who around you might be least likely to get saved, right? Remember the yearbook picture, like least, I was most likely to succeed, but (laughs) who around you might be least likely to get saved? Why not target them in prayer? God loves them. God's at work in them. Target them in prayer. And I think as you begin to pray for people around you, then the spirit has your attention and begin to speak to you about what he's doing in their lives, right? That's witness in partnership with God. We enter into that partnership through prayer, speaking prayer, listening prayer, discerning prayer. So I want you to get a person in your mind right now. Get a person in your mind right now, least likely to get saved. I have to think of someone myself. Oh, okay, I know who. Do you have someone? Least likely to get saved. Okay, so we'll just start right now. I'm just gonna be quiet for a moment. Just in the quiet of your heart, say a prayer for them right now. Amen. Gosh, two sentences in, I had to repent of my own behavior toward that person. Anybody else have that experience? I started praying for them like, look, God, this person's rotten. You got to save him. You got to reveal yourself to him. And then like two sentences, I'm like, oh, I'm rotten. God, I'm sorry. I need to be. I'll never do that again. (laughs) So the Ethiopian was seeking. God is at work in him. He goes to Jerusalem. He's wondering about Isaiah 53. What does it all mean? And just a little bit of background. You know, he was a eunuch and the book of Deuteronomy says that eunuchs were not allowed to go into the house of the Lord to worship. So he would have been leaving Jerusalem disappointed because of something that he probably had no control over. He could not have the full experience of the worship structure in the temple in Jerusalem. So I imagine that he's leaving now on that long journey, feeling a bit excluded, perhaps distant from God, a little confused about the whole thing, right? He's reading Isaiah 53 and he's like, I I don't really know what this means, but he's spiritually hungry. Do you know how many people around us feel that way? Excluded, distant from God, confused about it all? but spiritually hungry. I think that's a really common experience of people in our community. And that's the way that the Ethiopian eunuch was feeling as he left. Now, the third thing that we can learn from this text is that we ought to ask some questions. This is witness by discovery. We ought to ask some questions. And question asking is where the work of God in Philip and the work of God in the Ethiopian collided. And asking questions is where the work of God in Philip and the work of God in the Ethiopian collided. We'll see it here. 
Philip running alongside the chariot, right, trying to keep up, having this conversation at full gallop, says, do you understand what you're reading? I'm sure he would have had to yell, right? Chariots were probably like F-250 diesels, the old ones, just loud. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Not a normal thing. Not a normal thing to run alongside a chariot. First of all, there were probably guards now with the Ethiopian eunuch. They're on high alert. They're like, okay, this isn't cool. We might have to blast this guy. And then this conversation happens and he gets invited onto the chariot. This was a divine appointment. This was like an extraordinary thing that's happening because he was obedient. God's work in Philip because God was already working in the, in the eunuch. And, and when Philip asks this question, do you understand what you're reading? Very simple question. Do you get what it's saying in Isaiah 53? And asking this question, open the door. You know, it's important that we realize as Christians that we don't have to start with all the answers. We actually do have the answer. His name is Jesus. But we don't always have to appear as though we know everything and just like, you know what I mean? People matter. God loves them. We need to treat them with respect. And there's a way that God opens doors through questions. Philip could have just ran up and said, dude, an angel appeared to me and said to go to this road and then dude, there you are. And then the spirit said to run. So I'm running so fast now. And so you need to stop your chariot and get saved. That all would have been true. But that wasn't the approach that he took. He had this approach of humility where he asked a question Do you understand what you're reading? We don't have to start with all the answers. And through that, he begins to figure out how God is at work in this man's life. And through that, he meets the man where he is and steps into his current struggle. He's leaving Jerusalem, I assume, disappointed. And he's searching the scriptures, I think, perhaps for some comfort there. And through question asking, Philip is able to step into what the man was wrestling with. And so that can be an important strategy for us. We may need to start with someone's felt needs, someone around us, what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, what they perceive their needs to be. Help them see what Christianity has to say about that. And then from there we can lead them to recognize their need for Jesus and his salvation. And to discover those felt needs, we might have to ask some questions. Again, so many people around us feel like I think the Ethiopian felt excluded, distant, confused, but spiritually hungry. Uh, One of my former pastors, Ricky Ryan, at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, he now lives on Maui, living the dream. But when he's at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, I attended that church And he was coaching me in evangelism one time. And he said, you know, a great question is to ask somebody about their spiritual life. And then when they begin to explain it to you, just say to them, so how's that working for you? It seems a little on the nose to me. Uh, It seems a little in your face, but that was his strategy. And he was a gifted evangelist and he regularly led people to the Lord. I think it's a great question. I don't know that I've ever said those words, but I've danced around the idea with people trying to draw out. Oh, okay, so you're into Buddha. So how does that work out in your normal life? Oh, wow, you're into dolphins. How does that work out? And just begin to ask questions because here's the little secret that we know. 
it's not working. If it isn't Jesus, it's not ultimately working. So we're on safe ground if we can, with humility and compassion, ask them, so, so how is that spiritual path working for you? And begin to discover where the deficits are and begin to speak to them about Jesus. And the best way to do that, the fourth point, is to talk about what the Bible says. This is witness with Scripture. That's what goes on in this interchange. We'll look at these verses. This is a passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading, again, from Isaiah 53. Speaking of Jesus, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. I want you to just catch that phrase. Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. Philip saw the importance of Scripture, not just because that's what he was doing, but that's what we see all together, is that we ought to talk about and use the Bible. Now, the Bible is not esteemed very highly in our culture, right? GQ magazine recently said it was one of the books you never need to read in your lifetime. But no matter what people think about the Bible, the Bible actually has power. It's a living, active word of God. And there's power in it. Isaiah chapter 55, verses something and something say, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and the bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. There is power in the word of God. It's like when Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. There is power in truth. And so we ought to, in witnessing people and engaging in spiritual conversations, we ought to speak Bible. Now, we don't need to know the chapter or the verse. Right? That might not even be like helpful if you say, well, it says in Romans chapter 3, the 23rd verse, in the NASB, <laughs> all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. You, you don't necessarily have to like know chapter and verse. You don't even, I will say to you, have to give it to them verbatim. But the truth of what Scripture says, what it is saying to them, is what we ought to be saying to people. We ought to be talking to people about and with the Bible. And the ideas that come to us from Scripture, because that's the book that's about Jesus. <sighs> Pastor Ricky Ryan, again, he's come to me several times this week in, in my mind. He was preaching on this very passage years ago before I was in ministry, just attending the church. And at this point in the sermon, it was not the same sermon, but he was, whatever, same text. And he said to the congregation, could you preach Jesus from Isaiah 53? Because that's what he did. He was reading Isaiah 53, and he's like, dude, what is this about? And he starts with that very scripture and answers the question here is what it's about. Probably said something like, oh, Isaiah the prophet, man, 700 years ago, he spoke about the Messiah that would come, who would be the suffering servant, who would suffer on behalf of Israel and would die even though he was innocent and through his stripes were healed and he was pierced for our transgressions. And then remember Jesus just a few months ago that died here in Jerusalem and rose from the dead? That was a suffering servant that Isaiah the prophet spoke about there 700 years ago. Maybe something like that. 
But when Ricky issued that challenge, can you preach Jesus from Isaiah 53 or some other text, I took it to heart. And at the time I said, no, I, I couldn't. And so what I did was become a student of the word of God. I said, I want to be able to speak about the Bible and I want to be able to speak about Jesus from the Bible. So I took that, church, that, that challenge to heart and became a student of the word of God because people matter and God loves people and people feel far from God and confused about God and excluded from the life of God and they're spiritually hungry and we are his ambassadors sent to tell the gospel. So I want to be faithful and be able to speak about Jesus from scripture. So I read the Bible and I study the Bible. I want to challenge you with the same challenge. Somebody came to you and said, well, what about this passage? Are you able to handle that? Are you going to give them my phone number? What are you going to do with that? 2 Timothy chapter 2 says about you, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach. Okay, this is not talking about pastors, it's talking about people, Christians, able to teach, able to talk about Jesus from the scriptures. Patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, right? Not just letting error about Jesus in the Bible hang in the air, but correcting those who are in opposition. Look what's at stake. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, remember God's already at work, you're just partnering with God, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Man, there's big things at stake. People that God loves, people that we love, people in our community are held captive by the devil to do his will. And the truth sets them free. Know the truth. Be able to speak about the truth. Find ways to do it. I was introduced years ago. Oh, I think it might have been by Fritz and Penny sitting in the back road, uh, in the back row at their Bible study to the Romans Road, which is a way to communicate the gospel. Uh, ask the Google, you'll find it there. But it's a series of about 10 verses in Romans that lead a person through the gospel. I went through my Bible, I marked those, I marked where the next verse was, I went and I made notes there so that when I had an opportunity, I could remember this thing. Now for me, because I don't have a very good memory and I'm not very smart, the Romans road was a little long. So I learned about something called the four R's. Okay, now what I'm talking about now is just ways to be able to talk to people about Jesus from scripture. So the four R's, uh, I learned this, I don't know, 20 years ago, and I could still remember it. The first one is, realize that God loves you, right? So I'm in a spiritual conversation with someone. uh, Realize that God loves you. Let's just run through them all. Recognize that you're a sinner. Repent of your sins and receive Jesus as Lord. Now, I've never just said those four, like, okay, bro, here's the deal, dude. First of all, you just, you got to realize God loves you. And then you got to reckon, I, I don't give that to them because by the third R, they're like, hey, wait a minute. This seems a little packaged. But it's like a roadmap for me where I want to be able to go in conversations with people. It might be a conversation. It might be a long relationship that I've established. 
but these are things that I want to infuse into their lives and see that they're all connected to verses. Realize that God loves you, John 3.16. Recognize you're a sinner, Romans 3.23. All have fallen short of the glory of God and sinned. Repent of your sins, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and receive Jesus as Lord. John 1, 12 says, To as many as have believed in him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Believed and received him. So just find your own tools. Find ways to like move the conversation to Jesus because people are hungry for truth. They may not know it, but they're hungry for Jesus. And my final point in the sermon is that Jesus is the landing place. The fifth point is get to the main point. Witness is about Jesus. The second half of verse 35 said, Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So he didn't go into politics. He didn't go into entertainment. He didn't keep diving deeper into how he felt about Isaiah the prophet. He went to Jesus. He met the guy where he was at. He stepped into what was confusing him, what he was struggling with. And then he went to Jesus from there. Jesus is the main point. We'll talk about a lot of things. But we always got to bring people to Jesus. No matter what we, where it starts or what we discuss, we want it to end with Jesus. In the end, that's all that matters is what Jesus has done for people and what they will do with Jesus. That's going to be the question on Judgment Day. What have you done with Jesus who loved you and gave his life for you? So that's the main point. Because, you know, we could get sidetracked in all these questions about the authority of Scripture or social injustices or the hypocrisy of Christians or the track record of religion or our own. We could get sidetracked into all these things. And you should listen to people's questions and try to field them the best you can. But Jesus is always the main point. Move the dialogue toward Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Honor people's questions. Enter into their felt needs. You don't have to be like Franklin Graham. You know Franklin Graham? You ever seen him on the news when he's being interviewed? How do you feel about the crisis at the border? Well, you know, Jesus Christ is the only Lord and Savior who died on the cross for everybody in the border and beyond there that we might have life. Well, well, like no matter what you ask him, he goes to the gospel. That's awesome. That's Franklin Graham and his daddy, Billy. But we should listen to people's questions. Do our best to answer them. Be humble and honest when we don't have answers. I cannot tell you how many times I've said to someone, you know, dude, I don't know. That's a great question. Gosh, I don't know how to respond to that. But I do know Jesus loves you. He gave himself for you. That you might be forgiven of these sins, these things that you're struggling with, and the power of those sins in your life could be broken. That you can have new life in him and eternal life. I don't know all this, but here's what I do know. Don't get stuck on what you don't know. Go to what you do know, and that's that Jesus saves. And you don't always have to close the deal. You know, there's that famous story about um, D.L. Moody when he was preaching, and he was doing a series over a series of nights, and he kind of took him to a, like, cliffhanger, right? And he's like, and tomorrow night, we'll learn what Jesus did for you. And then that night, Chicago burned, and people died, and Moody never got over the fact that he should have just like closed the deal then. That's one way to look at it. But Paul also said, sometimes you're going to come along, you're going to plant seeds, someone's going to come along and water, and sometimes someone's going to reap. So you don't always have to try to close the deal. 
but do leave people with thoughts about Jesus and what he's done for them. So those are some basics for getting started and sharing your faith. I want us to end by asking ourselves what some of the hindrances are to us doing that. Because I bet if we did a survey and we won't, and I asked how many of us have recently or at any time or regularly share our faith with people and we raised our hands, I bet that would be interesting. I understand. I'm, I have no problem standing in front of hundreds of people preaching. But when I'm like down at the beach and I see a spiritual conversation coming my way, I, I get really nervous. It's really hard for me. I have my hand behind me with the four. I'm counting off the four R's. I'm like, reckon, re, 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 re. you know, like I understand that. And I, I get scared. I get scared of being rejected by people I know. I met someone about two years ago in the community and uh, just they struck up a conversation and we started talking. I've been talking to them subsequently. I never told them I was a pastor. They asked me what I did. I said, oh, well, I make surfboards because that's true. I also do that. And then they recently met a friend of mine who was like, what, you know Britt, the pastor? Oh yeah, I go to his church, blah, blah, blah. And then this person came back to me and they're like, you never told me you were a pastor. Why didn't you ever tell me that? And honestly, the reason I did not tell this person that at the time was I thought the conversation would be over. A lot of times when someone finds out you're a pastor, the conversation's over. I thought the conversation would be over. You know what I mean? And I I saw an opportunity here to begin to share the Lord. So I took a different tack. Now, I'm not saying that's the right thing. What I'm saying is I also have fear about being rejected by people because of Jesus. So what I think we have to do is be willing to be honest about that, to identify what our fears are, to call them out, and then to confront them with the truth of the gospel. So maybe the hindrance for you is apathy. Maybe you just don't care that much that people are going to hell. I get that too. We have to be honest about that. And we have to confront that with the truth of the gospel, that God loves people. Maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's unpreparedness. Maybe you're like, I want to share the gospel. I, I don't know what to say. So go to the class this summer. Google how to share my faith. Come to the church. Ask us. Like, open up your body. Just Become prepared because there's nothing really more important in your life that you can prepare for. And then as also as a homework assignment, start targeting in prayer those people. Sometimes I find when I have apathy about people getting saved, I have to learn to rejoice all over again in my own salvation. I have to remember how stoked I am that I am forgiven of my sins, even though I'm such a horrible, rotten sinner. I've done so many horrific things that God has forgiven me and he loves me. And by grace, he's actually using my life and he has a plan for me and I'll spend eternity in heaven with him. I have to remind myself how wonderful that is and like get stoked on it. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation and get stoked on it and realize this is worth telling people about. Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel are worth it. So I want to end by identifying with this text in Acts and us praying for boldness, right? You'll remember uh, back from Acts chapter 4, they had experienced some persecution and then they had a prayer meeting and this is one of the things that went on there. They said, now Lord, consider their threats. There's real threats against them. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
I like how they prayed. They, they, they didn't pray, Lord, you know, change the governmental structure there. Get those people out of power. Convict them of this. Like, show us a way. They, they just said, Lord, okay, so you hear their threats. So make us bold and unafraid in sharing the gospel. That, that's, that's a radical prayer. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Please, God, do that in our community. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I want God to do that for us. So let's just pray. Worship team will come up. Let's just enter right into an attitude of pray, pray, prayer. Pray where you are. You can pray out loud with each other, quiet, whatever. Let's just pray that we also would have boldness.